Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. In this episode, we will get to know more about robotic process automation, or PA, in Treasury with Philip Costa and Jan Willem Atterveld from the Automation Boutique. Philip Costa Hebert is the founder of Automation Boutique and an accomplished automation manager specialized in finance and treasury. Jan Willem Atterveld is an expert in navigating tools like OPA, APIs, and AI, which, along with his extensive treasury experience, enables him to steer businesses towards optimization. Automation Boutique partners with global companies aiming to use software automation to improve processes and let people focus on what really matters. They are empowering treasury, finance, and risk management with tailored automation solutions. In the episode of today, expect to learn what is automation to begin with, what does robotic process automation or APA mean, what are the required skills to set up an RPA, how AI can complement RPA in the context of treasury operations, whether there are specific use cases where the automation and combination of AI and RPA could be particularly beneficial, and like always, much, much more. Our conversation with Philippe and Jan Willem was really, really cool. Those two are doing things in the treasury space that we don't see everywhere. Plus, they have this no-nonsense approach that Husam and I really enjoy. And we hope you will enjoy this episode too. If that is the case, and when you're thinking about how you found our podcast, chances are that it was through word of mouth, social media, or a recommendation from your favorite podcast platform. And this is our only request to you. The only way we can get more and more amazing guests and get more people to learn about treasury is thanks to you. So if you enjoy what you hear and maybe learn a thing or two, please consider following the show, leaving a review, or sharing this episode to help others discover it too. With all that being said, please welcome Philip and Jan Willem. Guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. You guys are in the automation business, right? So that's that's what you guys do through and through. So I'm guessing you guys probably have a very good definition for automation just to get started. So how would you define automation? What does it encompass for you? Well, yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, we see automation a bit like a journey going from A to B, and you have a process, a set of tasks, and how can you make them more fluid? faster, easier, without errors, without manual intervention. And when going from A to B, we can see different ways of doing it. Like Just like if you want to travel, you can take the plane, you can take the bus, you can take the bike, you can take a combination. And with automation, we see it the same. And we try and see all the different tools and we try to apply the most suitable one. I don't know, Jan do you want to add? Yeah, yeah. So, well, when I think of automation, it's for me like uh, taking a job I have to do manually every time. Suppose uh, I need to water my plants every week. That's the job I tend to forget a lot. So for, for me, that's a great example of uh, a job you could potentially automate, like having a device detects detecting when the plant needs uh, to have water and preferably also uh, giving it a bit of water. And that, pl- that job you can also apply in the, in the office. We are in the business of office automation. So we look at uh, what kind of work uh, is usually done in an office on a computer and we identify tasks that can be automated. And we are using different technologies to do that. 
That's maybe uh, something we can uh, go into uh, a little bit later. Can everything be automated? Or is there certain criteria for things that can and cannot be? I think the short answer is no, or rather not everything should be automated, quite the opposite. In taking Jan Willem's example of the flowers, probably watering the flowers is something that you want to automate because you might forget and the flowers might die. But getting the flowers and giving them to your spouse, to your friend and uh, giving them as, as a gift, you don't want to automate that. You want to really enjoy the moment and get the most value from that. So that's something not to automate. And this is a bit of a romantic example, but also in the business environment, there are some things where the, you really, you're hiring expert people, especially in the realm of treasury where we work, which are hard to find and you're hiring them for a reason. And that is for them to use their brains and use their knowledge. And those are things that you don't want to automate. You don't want to automate those people away. The opposite, you want to automate the boring stuff so they stay and they give the most value to your team and to your organization. Yes, and also building in some levels of control in an automation that sometimes is very uh, useful. And even in, yeah, talking about corporate treasury, like you want to have some kind of four eyes principle so that there's always a human like uh, always approving certain uh, actions before they are taken. So th yeah, we, we see it as a lot can be automated, a lot should be automated, but not everything. Yeah. Super clear. So take us into uh, what I think is more your specialty, right? Although you, I think you guys do all forms of automation, RPA, robotic process automation, seems to be what you guys do the most. What What is RPA for people that don't know? Yeah, well, robotic process automation is indeed one of the tools or one of the main tools that we apply. And the name can be confusing. So robotic, you might think physical robots is nothing like that. We work in, as the Ambilla mentioned, in office automation. So it's software, it's software robots that you can install either on local machine or virtual machine that you deploy on your environment. And the, what these bots or robots or the software can do is mimic the same steps and tasks that a user can do on the screen. So for example, if I need to open Chrome, log into an application, copy paste data, and then log into SAP and paste it there in the front end, the robot can do uh, all the same steps, uh, execute them the same way in a stable and reliable way. And depending on the software that you use, there are many vendors out there and we work with many, although we have our preference. The other big side of RPA is the ecosystem. And that, uh, I mean, different connectors and uh, different tools that you can use but also the whole framework that you need to have it rolled out in an enterprise environment. So you need to have audit trails, logging, security, who has done what, who has changed what, and all of this, depending on the vendor, comes out of the box and makes uh, the last mile automation part of a bigger automation journey, which is, yeah, part of uh, all these needs that the corporate would typically have. So how does that fit into the wider umbrella of automation then? So you mentioned... It's not physical automation. So it's not like the watering the plants, which would be a physical activity, right? So it's like a subset of automation specialized in software specifically. I imagine there's a lot of security because you said logging in. Like I was always told not to share my login information with anyone, right? Whatever company I've worked with. How does that work? Yeah, uh, that's, that's right. Uh, well, yeah, first of all, Robotic RPA or robotic process automation is one of the tools that you can use and you can use many others. So if you want to go from A to B, uh, you have many ways of doing it and RPA is one of them, or at least for part of the journey is one of them. And some of the advantages you mentioned security, uh, storing your credentials and things like that. Well, we differentiate within two different 
uh, realms of RPA. One is what we call attended automation, where the human and the robot interact or can interact with each other. The other one is unattended, where the robot is running on his own virtual machine separately and they're not really interacting with the humans. And we see these two actually not a black and white as a continuum. So often we will start with an unattended flow where I don't know, again, I need to go from A to B, but the, the bot and myself are going together hand in hand. And if there is an exception, then the bot will come. In that case, I might log in with my own credentials and then they have a really boring step of task. Then I can ask the bot, hey, please take over from here. Uh, and this is typically something we often need to do given some constraints, for example, logging into a bank portal, you might never want to have a bot do it, or it might be hard for a bot to do it because of two-factor authentication, these kind of things. So you might still want to have the attended flow. On the unattended flow, where you have the bot doing everything independently, so it might be scheduled or it might be at a given event. So if this happens, then trigger this, the, this bot. Uh, when it comes to credentials, for example, you would often have a vault or a credential storage where the bot has only the bot has access to those credentials. Uh, and you can even have the bot reset or set his own credentials independently every week, month and so on. Uh, really making sure that you don't have the bot, for example, approve of like someone coming in and using the bot to approve his own payments outgoing. For example, you still won't have four eyes principles. And you want to make sure that, that no one has access to that bot to do any malicious things. So you could have a, a bot which, whose job is to set his own password every week or every month so you, no one else will know except the bot itself. And the best you can do is stop the bot, but you cannot really use it in a malicious way. I hope this gives you a bit of a flavor of different ways. And, and the beauty of RPA compared to other tools is that they come with all these tools, dissolves parts that I mentioned for the enterprise, rolling out in an enterprise scope of credential storage, all the trails, lo uh, managing, logging, and all of that that I mentioned before. And uh, RPA can perfectly be used together with, for example, an AI model where the RPA does, uh, well, the, the necessary steps, which you told uh, the bot to do. But sometimes it requires a little bit of intelligence in order to interpret data, for example, uh, unstructured uh, data. So then an RPA bot can perfectly interact with an, uh, an AI model or an API. So it's not an either or decision when uh, going to build out an, an automation, but you can use different automation technologies in order to get to a fully working uh, solution. Yeah, we usually uh, use a combination of different. So a few things here. First of all, you don't want the bot to approve its own payment for the bot not to retire in cyber paradise, right? That will be, that will be what could happen in case you have a, <laughs> a robot starting to do malicious stuff. Because, so it's corporate treasury 101. We love to chase down acronyms, but just for the sake of clarity, bot would mean robot, right? That's, that's just basically an abbreviation of RPA is an abbreviation of a first acronym. And then we have the bot for bot, for robot. Okay. Super clear. You mentioned some um, some interesting um, words here, Philip. You, you mentioned a flow which is like attended versus unattended. What does that mean, attended versus unattended flow? Yeah, attended it would be a process or a flow or, or an automation. I always get these wrong, by the way, so I need to think. Attended is the one where the uh, human and the robot are interacting together. So you might have somewhat of a complicated task or not necessarily complicated, but a task which requires discretion. 
So, and by discretion, I mean judgment from a person that given the con context can interpret what will be the best course of action. And for that, you don't want to rely or you can't really rely on a bot. The bot is very good at following instructions. It can have, can follow many different scenarios, many different rules, can be as complex as you want, but they need to be predefined. Every time you have something which is a bit blurry or not predefined, it, de it depends on context, interpretation, uh, then the robot itself alone is not the best way. So you won't have it an interaction with a human. Uh, and that will be an attended flow. Uh, an unattended flow is, depending on the process or on, on how far you want to automate things, would be a, a flow where the robot at, acts completely independently. For example, one simple case we did not too long ago is fetching the FX rates from the uh, ECB, the European Central Bank. You want to do that every day at 9 o'clock. The robot will log in the ECB, fetch the rates, and then put them in in a few different legacy systems and maybe send them by email as well. You could also have an API do the same. The bot allows it to be done quite quickly and it can interact with an API. And then where the bot is really powerful, if you have a legacy system, really old system, for example, uh, where the only way to get the data in is by keying in the information, the bot can do that quite nicely. If it's a bit more modern application where it can also have an upload functionality or another API, API to fetch data, the robot also can use the API to upload the data. And as Jan Willem mentioned, you can, uh, well, what we typically do between attended and unattended is we always, or we try to start with an attended flow with a new automation so that the people involved, they can get familiar and see the value of the bot and see it as a friend and not as an enemy. Uh, so you have a personal item to it as well and also fix any exceptions. And once the bot gets a bit more st uh, stable, then we move it to an unattended flow. And sometimes, as Jan Willem mentioned, maybe he can elaborate better as he is the AI expert of, of the two, we can replace the discretion of the human with an AI model. But that's really dependent, that's really something new uh, and has also a whole set of problems and issues. So we don't always recommend it as first step, quite the opposite. Uh, once uh, you get more familiar with the robot, how it works within your company, you could uh, move it to an unattended uh, robot. And then it can work when you are not at the office. Then uh, it can do uh, a part of the job for you already. When you when you arrive at the office, things have already been uh, been done. So that's uh, that's the great thing about uh, unattended automation. So uh, and it's usually a choice. You have to see what works best for your company and the specific process. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. We've had a few examples already of how we can use an RPA. But it was really corporate treasure oriented, which is good because we're on the corporate treasure 101 podcast. We will dive deeper into the usage of RPA in treasury a little bit later in this episode. But maybe to start with an example that is more um, relatable by anybody, could you explain like how we, can we use an RPA in the first place? Like somebody who has never heard about it and that is not very familiar with any corporate treasury terms neither, how would you best describe, okay, this, this is how you could use an RPA basically? Yeah. Well, maybe I can use the first example, the first bot that I ever built five or six years ago. And there, the problem that I had was, well, it was within Treasury, but it's not necessarily restricted to Treasury. I had a bunch of PDFs with more or less the same template. And from those PDFs, I needed to extract information and put them in an Excel file to then process it. In my example were deal confirmation. So I had trade, currency buy, trade, 
uh, amount, date, and so on, but it could be any PDF that you get regularly. And that was a very boring and time-consuming job. So what we did, we had a robot do it. So we told the robot, get this PDF, convert it to text, and look for the word trade amount, or it could be any word, and get anything after that. Copy it, put it in a table. Next word, copy it, put in a table. And then we just loop it for all the files in a folder. And the robot gave us, well, we'll go through the PDF, get information, put it in a table, and give us the output that, that we wanted. So very simple flow, but saved a lot of time and a lot of, yeah, errors as well. Because when you're copy-pasting and keying in, it's easy to make mistakes. And this would be an example of a potentially unattended flow. Uh, where you can just run it, you just know every day or every week you need to get all these PDFs and export them uh, to me. But the, the cases can be, yeah, there, there's, there are so many you can have about logging into an application. Uh, I know, uh, for example, a friend, she was getting frustrated not being able to, to book a court for tennis uh, because you need to book one week in advance, it was taken up, so she has a little bot going every day looking on the website of the tennis booking system at, I don't know, 6 o'clock in the morning as soon as the time slots open and she'll book a court for herself. That's something you can do very easily, for instance. Is it legal? Can you do that? Yeah. Uh, probably not, but uh, yeah, we are not doing that, so... <laughs> Hypothetically. Hypothetically, you could, yes. Um, in corporate treasury, we see that everything that is repetitive becomes a candidate to automate. Like, for example, we were talking to a, a large company uh, last week, and they were extracting data out of their treasury management system, putting it in Excel and doing some uh, some edits. And it was quite an error-prone and time-consuming process. So they asked us to look into automating that process, where the robot goes into the treasury management system, extracts the data, and put it in the right place in the Excel file. If that is always the ideal solution, we don't think so. But usually, well, sometimes you do not, do not have the flexibility or the technical capability to uh, reorganize your TMS in such a way that it will support your company-specific process. So there, yeah, an RPA solution could be a great solution to save you time and, uh, and resources. Yeah, and it may be good to highlight that what we typically do in such a project, we won't go in and say, this part, you need RPA, quite the opposite. Maybe it's even more the times that we uh, recommend clients not to use RPA yet or not or to use something else. Uh, for instance, if you are having a lot of manual processes, but you don't have a TMS yet, and you are at the size or of a company and a complexity level of a company, then we would probably recommend maybe you should start looking into a TMS, for instance. But if you do have a TMS and you don't have an interface with another system, or as Jan mentioned, you're, you have a few use cases, you find people doing things manually in a very repetitive way, we typically go have, in, uh, have a look. Often we would advise, we would, we would challenge, why do you need this in the first place? Sometimes you don't need it. Sometimes you can do a little tweak and then you can still go through the standard flows. Sometimes there is no other way than having, well, up to that point, a human do the copy-paste. And in that case, a bot can help a lot. And one advantage that we see in Treasury, and again, this is a bit weird, this was a bit surprising for us, is the big benefit in Treasury is that you don't necessarily need IT resources or IT resources at start to start your own RPA process. Programming it can be also relatively easy. 
if you have a bit of familiarity with, uh, with, with coding, there are a bunch of academies and a bunch of trainings that you could follow. So you could automate that, that task by yourself and have, uh, don't need to rely on IT or very skilled programmers to do it for you. Then there is a whole debate on, uh, and this will be called a, what we call a citizen developer. So not a professional developer, a citizen developer working. There are pros and cons on having citizen developers. There are pros and cons on setting up an RPA center of excellence, having a centralized or decentralized, but maybe this is, is for, for later or another time, but, uh, it is, it is a, an option which yields a lot of benefits. But I guess you can only do it in places where you don't have that button that says, I am not a robot. Right. So <laughs> those are in place specifically for RPAs or not only scripts in general, but an RPA would fail at that step. Is that what we're saying? See, most of the time, though, sometimes, because even when you're programming a bot, you have different flavors in which you can interact with the screen. One, some of them are much faster, uh, but then those will typically fail. Some of them a little bit slower, and then for the, for the screen or the application, I'm not a robot, to detect that you're really not a robot, it will be a bit harder because it's, it is slower, but it's really more emulating how the user works. For instance, what, how you would do it as a human, you would drag your mouse, say, left to right, click on the button or, and whatever. The quick way of a bot will be identify the button which has this technical name, this control, and click OK without scrolling the mouse and clicking on it physically. But you can also emulate the scrolling and clicking, which again makes it slower, but it gives us some success. But luckily in Treasury, there are not many cases where we need to do the I'm not a robot. And this is also a bit of a game of catch up. Like every time, the, every year, the bots are getting smarter and then the, uh, the captchas are uh, improved again. So it's, uh, it's a bit of a game. I'm guessing this can be applied across any industry, right? Are there any industries that are much more, let's say, RPA friendly and others which are less like how does the the market split up generally I think in principle not you're you're right in saying that uh, RPA could be applied or you could find repetitive standardized time consuming processes across industries and across departments we do see that the finance departments or treasury departments uh, are often one of the early adopters in, in, in industry or in, in a, in a, in a corporate, I think within industries, I really cannot pinpoint. I really cannot see an, uh, a difference. We have clients in the oil and gas, luxury, uh, automotive. We have clients, although banking, so that I don't think really makes a difference, but uh, we do see that, uh, finance, uh, or treasury departments have often a, a kickstart. And the reason why we think that is, uh, we've actually asked ourselves, why, why is it? I think because those are departments where typically it's hard to find people uh, with skills. You don't want to waste their time. They have often the knowledge, uh, the understanding that there must be a better way and they have the budgets to execute. Maybe other departments, they have it a little bit harder uh, where maybe they're a bit less tech savvy or they don't have the budgets, they don't have you know, the will uh, to, to start an RPA or an automation project in, in, in general. And given our background in treasury and finance and our interest in technology, we found, we, we decided to focus as automation boutique on treasury and finance processes, which, yeah, helps us and hopefully helps the clients as well. While you're talking through all of that, right? Like the steps and everything, I think most people could probably relate better to like Excel macros. So like, is that 
similar? Is it the same thing? What's how would you relate RPA to Excel macros? Yeah, we see them very similar uh, in a way, and yet very different. But you can think of RPA as Excel macros on steroids with superpowers. So Excel macros work really well uh, if you're in the domain of Excel uh, or Microsoft in general. Uh, and you can do really a lot. We've done really, really cool projects, even automating Excel and uh, SAP, for example. You can do it with VBA macros. You don't need a, a bot. What you are lacking with Excel macros, though, is the whole ecosystem, which I was mentioning at the beginning uh, of, uh, of this podcast, of, of the session. So the whole audit trail, the whole maintenance, who's doing what, and what if, say, I do a really cool macro and then I leave the company, then what? You might have the same error issue with a bot, but typically if you're doing an RPA project, you would have a development environment, a test environment, a production environment. You have different people taking care of the maintenance. You, you have written the code, you have done release notes, you have done things properly. Everything is there to do things properly. Whereas with a macro, that's a bit harder. Uh, and one last thing, we often or sometimes still use macros for a certain part of the process, and then we have a robot uh, interacting with that macro. Macros are great within Excel if you need to do a few things within an Excel file, or if you have, a, for example, queries in Excel, we use that a lot. We use Power Query in Excel, which is also another hidden gem, and it will be very time-consuming and risky for us to automate those steps with a bot in RPA. It will be clunky. Whereas if we do it in the Excel, in the realm of Excel, with a query with a macro, we can immediately give it to the client, say, try it out. Is this what you want? If not, they can either tweak it themselves or we can tweak it for them, but they can start using it immediately, getting benefit. And once that's working, then we can plug in a robot, which will interact with that and then automate the end-to-end -end journey. So we are really quite practical and we see RP as one of the tools that we use. Today, we're focusing on that, but it becomes so much more powerful if you have it interacting with other tools, automation on non-automation related tools as well. Just to clarify a few points, so VBA, that's Visual Basic, right? That's the programming language Excel's written in, just to, just to be sure. Uh, yes, I think the acronym, as you could tell, I'm not the expert, but I think it's Visual Basic for Applications. Uh, and that was a flavor of VBA started, I guess, in the 90s for uh, Excel. Well, it's very popular within Microsoft. So Excel, Word, PowerPoint, I think even Outlook, they have their... VBA flavor. So it's similar syntax, slightly different dialect or libraries available. So, but you make a super interesting point for the, the case for our PAs there, which is um, if you do something in like an Excel or in VBA, sorry, or in a macro, right? Um, that's usually uh, user access specific. So it's on that person's Microsoft account. Whereas an RPA would be separately hosted, meaning it would sit independently of whoever made it. So even if that person leaves the company or the Microsoft account doesn't exist anymore or their laptop's just not switched off, uh, it can still run, right? Yeah, that's part of it. And, and so much more, right? It's not only where it's located, it's also how it's managed. Uh, the whole life cycle of that automation is handled in, in a better way. But I mean, that's just a process, right? I mean, the person, your friend who made an RPA for booking tennis courts didn't write a user manual about how to do it, right? Allegedly, sorry. Uh, so she, so you can you could probably apply that same process to macros as well. People just usually don't. Yes, 
because you, unless you really enforce it, you don't really have the ecosystem set up to do it. And some companies do where you have any custom automation, you need to put it in the registry, you need to it'll be logged in your, by your risk management department or IT department and cataloged. But I've seen them very often. But I think, Yabrilam, you wanted to mention something. Yeah, I think even in terms of use cases, like uh, with, with Excel macros or Power Query, you uh, are confined to stay within the Excel environment. Whereas uh, if we yeah, top-down look at, okay, what needs to be automated, what process, then, yeah, RPA offers a lot of more possibilities because we can basically interact with any application, web applications, desktop applications, uh, ERP systems, etc. So it offers a lot of more uh, yeah, flexibility and possibilities. Yeah, that is true. And uh, what you mentioned before, one huge use case is interacting with APIs, for example. So one benefit is it, we said robots can replicate what humans do, but it can also do things that humans cannot do. So making an API call to the ECB or to uh, Google Maps or whatever to get a, to, you make a call and then you get something back in a, in a quick way, humans cannot do that so easily. Whereas a, even a non-expert developer can do that very easily in RPA. And one last benefit is if I were to show a piece of code to a manager or non -tech, someone not super technical of, in VBA, and explain what that code does. I can, but it will take quite a while to go through line by line or to explain what is happening. In many or most RPA um, solutions vendors, they will have what is called low-code uh, programming available. So you really see different building blocks in a bit more visual or visually appe uh, appealing graphics, and you can really see different blocks of code, what they're doing. It's a bit more like yeah, playing with Lego in a way. You have different chunks doing different things. And if I need to explain that to someone, they will be able to follow much easier because not just line of, of text, line of code in an editor. Very clear. Thanks a lot for that, Philip and Jan William. That's, that's super, super clear. We would like to get into the, the nitty gritty of RPA. Could you maybe start by breaking down how the RPA works exactly? Like, no, not how we use it, but more how does the RPA walk in the details uh yeah uh, it's a broad question i hope I'll, I'll i'll give you the right answers very high level how you have three components one is studio or a editor where you as a programmer you program it you would have an orchestration environment where which will keep in mind on which bot needs to do what and then you have the final robot executing different tasks on either a virtual machine or local machine attended or unattended flow when it comes, maybe the most interesting, and maybe that was the origin of your question, let's narrow down on the robot actually doing the, the, the different steps. When it comes to that, the robot will be interacting with different applications on your screen. So we said it typically would interact with the interface, with the visual interface of any application. And it has, again, two ways of doing that. One is robust, which is we always want to do. The other one is a bit crappy, which we try to avoid as much as possible. The, I'll start with the crappy one, and that is just looking at how things look like. So I'm looking for a button clicked submit, and the button is gray, and it's uh, two centimeters uh, wide by one centimeter tall. So I could have a robot looking for a button which looks like this description, and then click on it, which is a bit how we do it as humans. We're looking for things on the screen. But that is very 
well, not ideal because what if the button size changes? What if I change the resolution on my screen? What if a little word is, is different? Anything is very deli delicate way of doing things. So that's not our preferred way. The other way is the robot will go under the skin of the applications and I will try to understand what is the technical setup, what is the technical selector of that application screen or whatever. And it will be when I'm programming it, I'm telling it instead of look for a button two centimeters by one with this text, I'll be telling it look for a button whose technical name is submit01, for example. And then wherever that button is, no matter the color, the size, the whatever, the robot will look for it and will, will find it, which makes uh, programming bots much more robust. And then on top of that, you have interaction with all different things. So if I need to do an API call, for example, typically, as we said before, typically I, have, I would have to set it up quite difficult in a quite complex way. Now, as a programmer, I would just have a connector, which I can drag in in my flow, I put in the key parameters that I want uh, and the bot will execute it. And then on the back of that, it, when the robot is executing, will do its own magic, doing the API requests, fetching it back, handling the errors and, and all of that. Uh, and I get to enjoy the, the, the key benefits. Super clear. How do you set up and maintain an RPA then? Because we are talking about software, as you mentioned at the beginning of the episode, but how do you go from nothing to having an RPA integrated under the skin of your systems and software then? Like what, what are the tools out there? Yeah, th that is a bit vendor specific, but uh, there are many out there and they all have a bit like the same setup which I mentioned. They have a studio orchestrator and, uh, and a bot. So in studio, you can even do what you could do with macro recording. So you record your screen and the robot will get the piece of code of what does what you did and then you can edit it from that it as like just like macro you tend to get a bit of a crappy code out of it but it could be one way of, of doing or at least to getting some parts of it but you would start with replicating the step and programming it often as i mentioned with a low code and put in the different uh, different steps to do things robustly we have frameworks out there as well which help us handle what happens if the automation doesn't go exactly as planned for example chrome crashed so it would be silly for the robot to crash immediately we want to the robot to try closing just like uh, it 101 close and open again we can tell the bot if something crashes in the step do the same close and open again so we have we put our code in this in frameworks which will have different states of the machine so it will have a startup state where it will open the applications we'll get a get information and get transaction data state we'll get the data that it needs they will have a process state and then we'll have a cleanup state and then depending if what happens at different states, it can retry and, can, and it can try to recover. So we would then program in this framework and this piece of code. We would then, to do it properly, you would then want to have someone else test it, properly the client, test it in their environment. If they're happy with that, you would want uh, someone other than the developer, typically move it from the uh, development environment to the production environment. And once it's deployed in the production environment, any end user who has that bot, who has been assigned that bot, they can launch it if it's an unattended bot or any unattended, sorry, if it's an attended bot or if it's an unattended bot, any robot available at a given time when the trigger is one can run that automation uh, then. And so what would be the, what would be the prerequisites for a company to implement RPA? So it, it goes to the specificities of system vendors, I understand, but like. Is there any interest for the moms and pops 
baker at the corner of the streets uh, shop to implement an RPA? It, it depends a little bit. Some RPA licenses come at a cost, especially the more advanced ones. So they're not, uh, yeah, there's some cost involved. Sometimes you have it included in some of the office subscriptions. So then it's already a, a little bit more uh, cheap. So we usually la- always look like, okay, what software licenses are already in-house within the company? For example, Microsoft offers uh, an automation solution as well. And then it can be, well, a, a solution that would be su- suitable even for very small companies. We are currently building solutions for yeah, ranging from very small companies for, from a few uh, million turnover up to uh, uh, billions of turnover. So it's uh, basically suitable for every company that has repetitive uh, tasks that need to be uh, performed uh, on the computer. Yeah, and even... Sp- even smaller we have one client oh she's a, she's a friend of ours i think her turnover is around i think 80 to 100k and she's loving it like all her uh order management her invoicing is now automated at a fraction of the cost that would ha- cost her to employ someone to do it uh, as well so one of the big advantages of rpa is that it's quick to develop quick to deploy and it's cost effective it is cheap that's I just use simple words, uh, sometimes even free, depending on your size and then depending on what you need to do with it. Makes a lot of sense. So I guess at the end of the day, it comes down to the benefit case, right? All the savings you're going to make in terms of, well, time spent by FTEs or human resources, can they be performed eventually faster and better by a, a robot that will cost a fraction of, of all this? So it's, it comes down to this. And, and that is great for us because we also tend to the, like for us, there is enough work out there. So we really like to be quite transparent about things. If we don't think that RPA is the best way or there is, you're not going to be having a positive benefit, we will tell you clear like this, we would not do it like this if we were you. In fact, our most successful project some, some years ago was a project where we ended up not doing anything at all. We're just sitting around the table with different departments, two departments talking to each other wanting to automate a, um, a given report. And we were thinking, okay, which way? RPA, uh, we, do we put it on, on SharePoint? We have a, a, a link in SharePoint, whatever. And then we just started asking questions. Why do you need this report anyway? And then we said, because of this and this, because that team needs it. And then that team asked, yeah, but um, what do you do with it? Well, actually we sent it to that other team. So we gave a call to the other team. It turned out that they had been doing this report for years, but no one in the end really cared for it or rather the cost of not doing it was really negligible. So in the end, we decided just, you know what, let's skip the whole thing. We don't do it. And we went home. No bot was a bit of a shitty day for us, but still we had good coffee and a nice interaction. So RPA is one of the tools, but not necessarily the best tool. And if you can eliminate the process, just eliminate it. Wow. So I really, really like this approach. And so that's great. I think that's focusing on the value you bring to your clients, right? But so then instead of like saying, do not do it at all and just eliminate the process. What are the other solutions that can come to your mind if it's not an RPA? Like when you say, if it's not the right solution to implement, we say it. So one of the possibilities indeed to say, guys, we just don't need that process. But in case they still need it, but RPA is not necessary, what would it be then? What could you implement? Yeah, maybe uh, that's good to uh, highlight a bit how we usually start because, uh, well, a lot of automations we are doing involve Excel, for example. So actions are taking place in Excel uh, and then data needs to be taken from some sources, for example, uh, a treasury management system, an ERP system. 
and then it needs to be loaded in Excel. There need to be some data transformations in Excel, and then there needs to be a certain output. And then we usually start with the 80-20 rule, like, uh, uh, well, suppose you do the data extraction manually, but you put the, uh, the value extracted from the system in a certain folder, you click a button, uh, all the transformations that need to be done are done in Excel. The output is there how you want it. Uh, so that whole piece of work is uh, basically automated. And, but it, it's for 20%, well, for, for the, from the total cost. But it, it saves you like 80% of the work you normally have to do. And that final 20%, if you want to automate that as well, the data extraction, only then you need to, uh, to start adding an RPA uh, solution on top of that. So that's, yeah, you don't always need an RPA solution to get great results and great time savings uh, uh, in a very short time frame. It's, it's a bit case by case, of course, but uh, this is, an, I think, a nice example where we yeah, see that RPA is not always uh, needed or the preferred solution to start with. And we are aware this, that recommending using Excel is controversial, to say the least, and is quite far from the usual trend that you would expect from a company like Automation Boutique. It would be much easier for us to have a motto say, you need to eliminate Excel, don't use it, you need to move away of that. And that is true to some extent. Excel does have a number of issues, number of errors. But we, what we see is that the majority of those, what we need to see, to see, we see two things. One, the majority of these errors and the fallbacks are actually uh, using Excel in the wrong way. Uh, and there are a number of bugs and issues in Excel which are not do they're not Excel's fault. You're just using it how it was not meant to be, or you're not using using the right tool within Excel for how it's meant to be. And the other thing that we also see is that there is a huge amount of resistance uh, against abandoning Excel. So we can either go against that or we can embrace it. And one of the big things that we do in automation projects is getting people on board, getting people excited, and seeing the benefits of it instead of going against the flow. You, some, you often need a bit of a top-down approach to invest in automation, but you definitely need a bottom-up buy-in, otherwise it's really not going to succeed. Uh, so if we can use, as Jan Willem said, a few queries in Excel, we can get 80-20 benefit, and then we can move on from there. And the last thing I'd like to say, if from the, say, 80% benefit that we're releasing, we want to spend some of that on teaching and train, training the people involved on how to, Excel, how to use Excel better. Uh, so they don't need to rely on us. They will get the skills and they will stop doing the errors, mistakes, and they can maintain or they can handle the automation or other automations independently with some great tools which are out there. And one that I would like to highlight is not today's session, but Power Query. It's a hidden gem in Excel. That is the engine of Power BI. Again, another Microsoft tool within Excel that no one knows about. And you can do so much and so well in a clear and robust way. So everyone has to go and learn Power Query now. That's it's good to know. <laughs> if I have a department, right, that I want to implement RPN, what are the skills that I need to get it going? Like me as a non-technical, non-computer science or or engineer or anything like this, what do I need to upskill myself in to be able to start thinking about implementing RPA in my processes? What would you say would set me up for success, even if I'm going to uh, bring in a third party to implement it? Well, again, there are many vendors out there. Some of them, or many of them, they also have free trainings available, which are really good. 
So I would, the first step that we usually recommend to our clients is go and sign up to this academy or even there is a lot of free content on YouTube. There are many books and follow a few trainings and try it out. We typically advise them to skip even uh, the most, most basic or the citizen, citizen de developer flavor to go straight to the foundation developer flavor, which will give them, I think, the right tools without confusing too much. So that's something you could do already. It's free, it's well organized, and I will get you the first uh, basic skills. We'll put some in links, some in the show notes, actually, for the listeners. Perhaps if you could share some, we can put them into the show notes of the podcast. Yeah, when uh, advising on an RPA solution, for example, we use at uh, uh, Gardner's Magic Quadrant for RPA. And which vendors are the leaders? And uh, every year it changes a bit. And there we usually see, well, a few being very outstanding. And uh, those also happen to have the greatest uh, uh, learning content online. So uh, if you could make the time to learn, yeah, you, you can get to a pretty advanced uh, level uh, without uh, paying any uh, training costs, except for your time. Yeah, well, we can even mention it, perhaps like it's public information. If you get the latest Magic Quadrant, which is not from us, it's really independent reviews, you will see that UiPath is year after year always number one. And I think that's also due to their strategy where they started with a community edition of the, of RPA as a solution, which anyone can or could download for free, uh, play around. You can follow the academy and it's exactly the same as the enterprise version. Well, very close to the enterprise version. So your skills are immediately transferable to the, your working environment. Just the licensing will be different. So follow that. There is free training, fr free tutorials, uh, on your path itself. You can learn a bunch. If you want to learn the other ones, Blueprism, Automation Anywhere, there's a bunch of YouTube content. Microsoft is a rising star in the RPA environment, not quite as good as UiPath. Uh, if you are in the Microsoft environment only, so SharePoint, Microsoft Lists, Microsoft Forms and whatnot, then Microsoft RPA or the Power Platform, how they call it, is also good. And even there, you have a lot of, of content and training that you can follow. Super cool. All right, we'll link them definitely in the show notes below. Uh, that's if I want to get started, right? So I perhaps learn a little bit of the basics, understand the processes, how it works, using these trainings, contact a third party most likely to help me implement it, maintaining it ongoing. Again, to a department or a company that you would say, yes, an RP would be applicable to them, but really they don't have any strong systems in place already to be able to maintain that. How, what does that, how do you get started? being able to maintain that? That is, again, quite uh, easy. Well, there are different angles to this, this question. Uh, one, from a technology point of view, all these vendors make it really quite easy for you. Until a few years ago, when I started, we need to have, uh, for example, orchestration. You need to have it on a server. You need to get your own server space. You need to install it, deploy it, and all of that and maintain it. Today, they all offer cloud solutions. So you don't need to worry about that the least you don't need any IT skills, you don't need any installation overhead, any of that. You just click a button, you, you have it deployed on a, on a secured cloud space and it just works. So that's the technical side. Uh, short answer, really easy. That's not the problem. Don't worry about it. On an organizational side, there it depends. Depends where you are on your journey. If it's, if you're doing your first automations, one, two, three, four, five automations, you're core objective is not so much focused on structuring things, but you want to lay the right foundation. So do things well, uh, don't get too 
so that means use the right framework, start having a development environment in your, uh, in your orchestrator, but don't be too worried on how to set things up because the objective is to get you excited, get the people around you excited and get the, uh, your organization a bit familiar with what is happening. You get to a point where you need to move on that stage and then you need to get your risk management, your compliance, your legal department a bit more involved because a few questions are going to start arising. Who is this user, this robot? How do we administer it? Uh, whose responsibility is it if things go wrong? So then you need to start structuring a little bit the whole organization of robots and there will be a good opportunity to start thinking how uh, you want to set up a small center of excellence, how do you want it organized? and whatnot. But take it step by step and then everything will be fine. Okay, makes sense. And what would, so what would come um, for, for somebody who got an RPA installed, right? Uh, just in the department, he was not in charge rather or she uh, of the implementation, neither the maintenance, but all of a sudden needs it. I mean, is it, it's added as one of his responsibilities. Is it easy to maintain an RPA? Like, if we talk about a bot that just goes into a banking portal to take information, feed your Excel spreadsheet and get your report all done, for somebody who's just arriving once <clears throat> everything is already there, is it easy to get a hand of it? I'm asking the question because so from my personal experience with VBA and Excel macros, you can somehow understand, right? You just get into the Excel, you do your own macro, you save it, you see what it makes in code and so on. That's, that, that's how we learn. Is it the same for RPAs or do you really need a knowledge basis uh, in order to get there? Yeah, I think given the, the low code way of uh, how it is, uh, is, is created, it's different blocks and it's fairly easy to at least derive from what, is, what kind of text is in the block to see what that st step exactly does. So I think if you have just a little bit of technical expertise, not that much. Like, you know, uh, our code is built up. You have to start on the top and finish at the bottom. And you can basically visually see the different steps. So if you need to make a small adjustment, for example, a file name has changed or uh, I don't know, it's fairly easy to detect uh, where the, in which, which uh, step does that take place and how can I change it? Building a new automation from the ground up, that requires a little bit of more knowledge, I think, but uh, making a very small change in, in an existing robot uh, is, is not that hard, I think. Depends, of course, on the, on the exact uh, solution implemented, but in general, it's easier to read than uh, uh, a visual basic uh, code, I think. Super clear. Guys, we talked a lot of pros for... RPA and how it's amazing and how it saves everything, uh, if it's applicable, that is. What are, the, what are the drawbacks? So why, outside of, okay, this perhaps just doesn't need to be uh, automated or could be done in a simpler way, what are the other drawbacks of implementing an RPA in your treasury systems? Ideally, if you start designing a system, for example, treasury management system, you want uh, that system to capture, well, all treasury processes. Uh, so ideally, if you have certain reporting needs or your data needs to be put into, uh, for example, a multi-dealer platform to, to trade FX, ideally that should happen, well, within the, the treasury management system. However, we see that yeah, not all treasury management systems uh, offer full capabilities to uh, support all the treasurer's needs. 
So, f so for those processes which require the interaction between different applications outside of the TMS, yeah, there RPA is, is a solution, but we, we don't see it as the, the holy grail. We are not preaching that every company should, yeah, start using RPA first. Ideally, you want to, uh, yeah, to have your processes automated at the base layer. And I think another or related issue is that RPA can become victim of its own success, meaning that they can enable messy setups. Maybe that's what the embedding is saying as well. Since it's quite easy to deploy, you, it is quite quick. You might have the tendency to automate things which shouldn't be automated like that, at least. And you might have start having robots doing things which shouldn't, they should not be doing. And if you have messy processes, you might start automating messy processes. But that the the RPA layer on top is at one point is gonna suffer from the messiness and it's gonna make your messiness go times ten or to the power of ten even. Whereas you should still go back in the end, roll up your sleeves, have a look at what is happening, who is doing what and why, most importantly, uh, before you start throwing a bot at it. Because yeah, in, in the end the biggest pain point is gonna be the maintenance, as we discussed, maintaining one bot is not hard. Even a non-technical person can understand, but if you have 200 automations running unnecessarily or in a very confusing on a spaghetti way, it it was a mess before. It will be a bigger mess now to to handle. Yeah, I like I like that thought process overall, which is don't stick a robot on something that's already a mess. There's a there's a saying for that. No, there is a saying for that. Like uh, you should tidy up something before you automate it, I can't remember. Actually, something you said before as well, Elon Musk has a really interesting quote where he says, um, the biggest mistake good engineers make is optimizing a process which shouldn't exist in the first place, which is because we're taught to just make everything better instead of challenging if it should exist there in the first place or not. <laughs> exactly. And this ties into the other like uh, garbage in, garbage out. It, it's the same concept. If your process is crap, then the automated process it might look good at first, but it will be crap, I promise. Super cool. Um, guys, bring it to corporate treasury for us. So um, specifically in corporate treasury, what are the uh, most common applications that you guys have worked with um, that like, as soon as you come in, like 90%, 80% of the requests are always for the same thing. What, what is that? Or is it like that? The thing which comes to mind immediately is reporting. And that means generating reports, uh, distributing reports, getting the data for the reports. Uh, reporting is uh, number one. I think a close number two on top of my head will be master data uploads. So often if you're doing uh, a new implementation, system implementation, or even maintenance of an implementation, you need to handle all the different master data, all your clients, all your vendors, all of that migration of data. Some TMSs or some systems are friendly in that. Some are not. And some still require you or someone to input data and their bot is perfect. We've done it uh, with a few clients already who were planning to hire an intern uh, trainee for a summer just to do data entry. Uh, I think we saved someone's life by having a bot instead. <laughs> <laughs> I think these are the two. Can you think of uh, on top of your head all the top use cases? 
Yeah, over the last few weeks, I've talked to well at least two companies who uh, had a liquidity forecast in their TMS, and based on that forecast, they wanted to send yeah some data to their multi-dealer trading platform, and that was always done manually, and that was uh, yeah so basically a process that requires more yeah different applications to have that an automation for that in place. So, so the risk management is uh, is quite a hot topic as well. And also just the, the, the intercompany communication, like you have a treasury department, which, which some subsidiaries, there's an internal loan that uh, matures. Well, especially the, the larger treasury departments are sending out a lot of emails. Hey, what needs to happen with this loan or this swap or what have you? Yeah. To automate that process is, uh, is also, uh, something that takes away a lot of, uh, yeah, emails basically and, and, uh, and saves a lot of time. So everything that makes, yeah, just uh, the 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 day to day activities of the treasurer more easy and robust. Where we see uh, uh, that there's uh, a demand. Awesome. And so linking to that, seeing us praise of automation boutique guys. Could you walk us through a success story of a company for which you implemented an RPA? And by that I mean, what was the problem statement in the first place? Why was the RPA the good solution? And not just to say, guys, kill this process. Uh, what were the benefits and outcomes afterwards and eventual challenges you faced and the whole, the whole story. Yeah. I'm thinking which one to share with you can be anonymized, Philip. You don't have to state the name of the, of the client. <laughs> yeah, no, maybe I, I will not share the name of the client. Yeah. Maybe what well, I can link, I mentioned the PDF example before. So we have used a very similar case already for a client. So the use case was receiving a few hundred deal confirmations from eight different banks and those from those deal confirmations you need to uh, run them in, in a model to get the uh, mark-to-market valuation of those deals those deals today the key pain point was someone actually two people involved in scraping the data from that pdf so you first you need to understand what bank is it from what template is it what data do you need to get from that uh, pdf put it in your table format the table properly, run it into your valuation engine, then get the re results and then send them out, check them and then send them out. So this was high level, the problem statement. And it took them, I would say a couple of days, uh, every month to run this. And you'd have two people doing it because you have the two people doing it in parallel, the same exercise because of the risk of errors. So they will do the same scraping of the data, same exercise twice. They'll be comparing their outputs. Any misalignment, they were then checking who was right, who was wrong, or trying to avoid any errors at that point. And the errors are very easy because different templates, different banks, for example, they'll have typically in a deal confirmation, let it be a future, a sorry, a forward or a swap. You have party A and party B. Uh, and sometimes party A, for example, is going to be the bank. Sometimes party A is going to be you as the client. So getting and who buys and who sells is very easy to get them wrong. So you might get a deal with in the end will be worth instead of minus 100K, it'll be plus 100K. So you get a 200K delta. So getting errors and is very easy, let alone just typing wrong, putting one extra zero, or one zero too many or too little and so on. So that was a pain point and it was a perfect process to start because it was repetitive. It was standardized. So it was very clear. We had eight banks, not a hundred. So we could define from each bank where to get the data and it was time consuming and error prone. So perfect candidate for us. And we went with a bit more advanced version of the first bot that which I mentioned. So in this case, we are also 
categorizing so uh, the different uh, confirmations from different banks and then running uh, well the bot would then know uh, which bank it was dealing with where to find the data and then extract it and put it in and here we uh, focus on that first part uh, all the way to the input needed for the evaluation because the evaluation applying again the 80 20 rule we didn't see the cost benefit in automating that step as well and we still wanted to have a human uh, check at that point. So after the bot has run, we also built it in such a way that rather than give wrong information, so if in doubt, fail. Because if it fails, you can do something with it. But if you give wrong information, you will never see it. So you might have some times where, for example, a PDF would either be a little bit different from the template. It could happen. Then instead of trying to get the data, don't get any data at all and let the human give it a, that, that as an exception. And then we can learn from it, program the bot to uh, pick that up. Sometimes you get really crap stuff. Like we had one of the banks that is sending the PDFs in Turkish. And instead of being a machine readable PDF, it was just a kind of like a picture. And of course the bot will fail. We could run OCR and OCR optical character recognition, I think, speaking of acronyms. Uh, which will try to interpret data, but OCR embeds a level of uncertainty. And in this case, we had no room for uncertainty. So we did not do that uh, that either. In the end, well, that bot, as far as I know, is still running and is saving a bunch of time to two people who instead of keying in two really smart people, so instead of spending the time on copy-pasting data, they can now run the valuations, check the data, make sure that it makes sense, um, and then advise... Uh, the rest of the organization on with that time on how to do better hedging, for instance, because now they have a few hours or two days a month where they don't need to do this key key uh, key entry data entry, but they can start thinking if our hedging program is it working? Does it make sense? Uh, should we do be doing something else, which is way more valuable than copy pasting data from a PDF? So this is one example, but there are many like this. What we usually see is that uh, if there's one successful project running, even if it's a very small uh, small one, that's usually uh, a great start. And then we usually see more and more projects within the same company uh, because then they really get the hang of it and want to automate more stuff. Mm. Yeah, makes lots of sense. So I really like that example. I have a few questions uh, trying to go into the details. So what if for my um, consultant experience, I know that sometimes bank, so I used to analyze like hundreds of pages of bank fee statements. And sometimes banks just change their templates all of a sudden. And so instead of having certain information somewhere, you have them somewhere else. And then you need a little bit of, you know, interpretation and logic. It's pretty straightforward, but still, it's not the same as you know them. If an OPA is rule-based, how do you tackle this kind of problem if one of the eight banks all of a sudden changes its template? Yeah, in that case, we, uh, well, we had that problem. Uh, and there are two main ways. One I will address, and the other one maybe I can let Jan Willem address as he is the expert. The main one is the most basic one. So as I said, you design it, fail if wrong. So if you see the template has changed, then you give the output, look, I couldn't get the data. And that's not ideal but it's safe and reliable. And, uh, and that means that the, then someone will have to go in the code, have a look at the new template, maintain it, make the few tweaks, and then release it again. In our experience, and that's what we did, and in our experience, you would have that kind of issue, but the turnaround time will be very fast. So if you notice it's not going well, you go in, we have built it in such a way that each 
bank was standalone. So you didn't have to touch the whole code, but you just, you knew exactly where to go. And even a junior developer could make the tweaks and update it. And in a, I would say in two, three hours, you'd have the new version deployed and tested and everything will be okay. That's one way. The other way, which I think Jan Willem was more, is, is, is the expert in, you could start considering having more advanced models and having AI to interpret the information. So it's not rule-based, but you have a trained model on, on getting the data in. Yeah, we see that also with, with invoices, like there are not 10 templates, but there are like unlimited templates. And for example, in, in the realm of treasury, we have, for example, bank guarantees, we also, which also have always another type of text. So you could think of specifically training an AI model in order to, to extract a piece of data out of a document. And then uh, you could integrate that AI model in your RPA robots. So in that way, you can combine the different technologies in order to cater for it and make it more proof that if something changes, then uh, the bots uh, will keep working. So that's, uh, yeah, the, the other solution that... Uh, yeah, and, it, and in that setup, you can design the bots to have what we call the human in the loop. So every time you have AI, a bit like OCR that I mentioned before, you add an element of uncertainty, of risk. And then you can have scores of indexes on how, what is the perceived level of uncertainty for a given iteration. Uh, so the model AI model be, could say, okay, I'm 100% sure this is the right field or I'm 80% sure. And you could set thresholds, anything below 90%, depending how sensitive that data is, you can say then run it through a human. So that there will be a human will be getting notified. The bot is not sure about this field. Can you confirm it? If so, yes. And the benefit of that is that the model, the machine learning or the AI can learn from the human interaction and train itself based on that. It's doable. We've done uh, nothing in production with this just yet. We've done a few pilots ourselves and it works well. But we would not advise a client to start this as the first robot or the first RPA use case. It's uh, quite complex uh, and it might take a bit more time to deploy. Also, because from an organizational point of view, you need a human in the loop ready who knows what to do and understand what is happening. Makes a lot of sense. And I love that we are starting to dig into AI. I have a few follow-up questions for that. But so first and foremost, um, that would be what we call an attended flow then because you still have manual intervention at the end correct or is it a subby one because it's only human in case there is a fail <laughs> exactly in the end it depends how you design it but uh, in this case would be a semi one so you would have an unattended flow and then you could have the human in the loop in a complete it could be on a web page for instance uh, and in the web page he will be seeing the document and he'll be seeing the field and he'll be seeing the data and he can give his input on a web page so it's Hybrid. Let's call it hybrid. It sounds cool. Makes a lot of sense. And last one, uh, just to place the devil's advocate. If we happen to have a ninth bank at some points arriving in the process, then you need to program the RPA to be able to read that new type of confirmation as well, correct? Or would it be able to maybe with a link with AI interpret it right away through the different learning it had? How would it work here? With, with AI, uh, the AI model, if trained properly, should be able to handle it. With RPA not, you need to explicitly define, okay, we have this other template that is now uh, also uh, in scope. And this is how it looks like. You have to go there in the documents to extract that piece of information. 
So it's uh, yeah, in that that way we see that uh, that RPA can become stronger by uh, by using AI. That's very cool. And so, Jan Willem, to to dig a little bit into that, can RPA be used to train AI and then have two tools work together for an optimal output? Would that be the ideal state? Yeah, I think so. Especially what Phil is saying, like if. There's already an AI model in place, but it is not trained or not trained good enough. So it makes a bunch of mistakes. But if you build in a step where the human can give feedback, afterwards you can fine tune the, the AI model and uh, give it the feedback like, hey, this is uh, uh, something we detected. This should be the, the output. So this was the input. This should be the output. Then the AI can be fine tuned, and uh, in another iteration, it will probably do a better job of ex extra giving the right, uh, the right output. So uh, that way, you can at least gather data to uh, to fine tune the uh, the AI model with an RPA description. That's very very cool. So that answers the question that we had around uh, how does AI can complement RPA in treasury operations. But then, if we go a little bit deeper. Are there other specific use cases like make us dream, Jan Willem? How how could the combination of AI and RPA be particularly beneficial for corporate treasury? If we uh, like, so the confirmation we see this particular example into reading data into PDFs and in helping the RPA interpret it for new ones and abnormal ones. What else is out there that we could imagine in treasury um, with the combination of AI and RPAs? Yeah, so uh, looking to the future and, uh, well, what's, uh, like what inspired us a lot, at least me, was uh, seeing uh, OpenAI's code interpreter recently. So you can basically throw in a bunch of data and it will extract all kind of insights uh, for you on the fly. Um, so that probably gives you, well, if, if that evolves a little bit more, could have the potential to connect your data to an AI model and get, well, real-time insights on in what your next best actions could be as a treasurer. If you add an RPA layer on top, you could say, well, uh, this, this is what the AI proposes. Uh, do it for me because uh, there's no need in doing it manually, but you could automate that as well. So if we fantasize a little bit about that, then, uh, well, we, you would have some kind of a robo treasurer, like thinking for itself, uh, a human in between saying, okay, go ahead. Uh, I agree with you and, and do it. And of course, that's, that's the ideal world, I think, for the uh, corporate uh, treasurer. That sounds indeed very, very cool. Guys, that was amazing. Thank you so much. Super interesting. I'm happy that we got to enter into the technical details of RPAs. That's, I mean, in itself, it's a bit outside corporate treasury one, but we can definitely see that there are applications for corporate treasury that could help hugely treasury departments. So thanks a lot for this. I think we clearly mentioned it during the episode, but so... If people would like to know more about RPAs, start training themselves, start finding resources, I think you mentioned quite a few for free. Can you recap a bit and explain where people could go if they want to learn more about all this? Yeah, sure. I think we will also put give you the, the links. We mentioned UiPath, which is one of the leading vendors in RPA, has a great academy. Microsoft, the whole, um, used to be called Microsoft Flow, I think now it's called Microsoft Power Automate, has good training resources as well. Last but not least, you can always come and visit us at automationboutique.com and we are very happy to help you. We are going to be releasing a new website very soon where we put some training information as well. There are some really good Discord channels 
which I cannot remember the name of right now, but we'll make sure to give you the link so you can uh, check them out. A bunch of geeks, really a lot of people willing to help you out. And the forums, again, the UiPath, the usual Stack Overflow, those are all good places to go and, and find, uh, find information. Amazing. Thank you so much. So you mentioned it's the Automation Boutique website is going to be, there's going to be a new one live soon. If people would like to reach out to you directly, could we put the LinkedIn profiles uh, somewhere in the description as well? Yes, definitely. Awesome. Guys, thank you so much. Thank you for having us.